Hey, deserving listeners, today's episode is about third culture kids. If you don't know what third culture kids is, let me provide an explanation. So there are a lot of definitions, and just to give you a little history on the definition, the term third culture kid was first coined by researchers John and Ruth Usim in the 1950s, so it goes way back. Essentially, through their research, they observed that there were children who spent a substantial part of their childhood in countries that differ from their from their passport country, often for their parents' work. So in other words, you might have a kid who, due to their parents working in the military, might have only spent the first couple of years of their life in, say, the United States and then spent the majority of their childhood abroad – uh, with three-year stints in various different other countries that have widely different cultures than their quote-unquote passport country. So they're, you know, where they're a citizen. So these uh, researchers in the 50s observed that there was this new phenomenon due to uh, globalization or uh, the ability to travel around the world and work around the world that children were spending a good part of their childhood in countries that differ from their passport country. And it, and there were some commonalities among these children in that uh, on paper, say, say you have a kid from Wyoming, but he spends two years of his life in Wyoming and then five years in Korea and then three years in Brazil and then four years in Africa. And what does he call himself? Does he call himself an American? Because he probably doesn't feel like an American. And so these children, according to the researchers in the 50s, they found that the children suffered in some ways because they were neither a part of their parents' culture or the society culture. So this is why it's called third culture kid, is that you have society, which is the first culture, and you have parents, which is the second culture culture. Or the other way around, I'm not quite sure. Either way, you have two cultures, society, which is uh, one culture. Say, again, you're a kid from Wyoming and you're in K South Korea. Well, you have South Korean culture. Then you have your parent culture, which is maybe they're born and raised in Wyoming. And now you're a third culture because you're not a kid from Wyoming, for sure. That's your parents. You're definitely not a South Korean kid because that's the outside culture you're something else. You're a third culture. So you're the third culture kid. And for decades, this was considered to be detrimental to the child in that the child is not accepted by the society culture. The child is not accepted by the home culture in Wyoming. And neither – and the child doesn't feel like they're either culture. And so there's – there are problems that happen from there. Now, we'll get into the research later. There's actually a lot of positives that can come from being a third culture kid. But other definitions, more broad definitions are kids who grew up in a different culture other than their parents, like a child in an immigrant family. I don't think that we should be using third culture kid uh, labels for this. I don't think personally, but, but it's fine you know, to identify people who – Say you're from South Korea and you come to the United States and either you were born uh, and moved to the United States as a very young person or you were born in the United States to immigrant parents. 
you kind of have a third culture status in that you're not really of the society culture because you're still fairly steeped within South Korean culture because that's the culture of your home. But you're not exactly South Korean. And when you go back to Korea, people notice that you're different. You're, you were raised in America. But the outside culture doesn't accept you either because you're, you're not white or you have an accent or your home smells funny. I mean, that's, that's what my family was like. Uh, Japanese-American homes smell like kimchi and other kinds of odd things to white Americans. <laughs> and so you're a third culture kid in that way as, as well. Uh, but usually third culture kid refers to people who move around a lot. And not just one time, you know, just the immigrant family just moves once. Another definition that's used sometimes for third culture kid are just kids who grew up exposed to a lot of different cultures for whatever reason. Maybe their parents were diplomats and had a lot of different sort of people over to the house or something like that. The opposite of a third culture kid is a monoculture kid. So you have third culture kids and monoculture kids. So... Uh, if you have a white kid who grows up in Wyoming and is born to white parents who uh, their ancestors emigrated to the United States, you know, two or three generations back, then that's a monoculture kid. We also have the term adult uh, third culture kids because the term third culture kid sometimes feels like, oh, you're talking about kids. And so sometimes they like to delineate between third culture kids who are still kids and third adult third culture kids. But often they just use third culture kid to refer to the children and the adults. All right. So what are the commonalities to third culture kids according to the research? Well, it's hard to generalize because at first it might seem like a, you know, there you'd be able to identify commonalities pretty easily because they all share the same background, but they actually don't. Because third culture kids span so many different experiences and cultures. So uh, say you have an American kid, like the kid from Wyoming, who grows up on military bases around the world. Okay, that's a particular kind of lifestyle. Or let's say you have a Chinese kid who immigrates to Africa with his family and grows up there and maybe moves around to different cultures within Africa. Uh, let's say you have a Chilean kid who is seven years old, who grows up in the United States and very much remembers what Chile was like. Or Umberto, Umberto for example, he moved to the United States when he was 15, but he came to the States when he was like two or three and then went back to Bogota and then back to the United States when he was 15. So everyone has a different kind of configuration. Maybe some people move around Every year, they're bouncing around every year to a different to a different society. That's going to be different than if you just move one time, right? So it, you know, it's it's it, there's not a lot of ability to, for us as researchers and scientists to generalize completely about these people. However, there are some definite commonalities when you talk to third culture kids. Not all of them, but let me just provide some of the common experiences that are reported that it's really hard to answer the question, where are you from? So when someone asks you, where are you from? Like if someone asks me where I'm from, I say I'm from Seattle. Now, if they know Seattle suburbs, then I'll say I'm from Issaquah or Sammamish. And 
it's officially I'm from Sammamish, but Sammamish didn't exist back then. And what we thought of ourselves were from Issaquah. Anyway, it's it's a town outside of Seattle. And so I say I'm from Seattle. But sometimes people are like, well, what do you, you know, what ethnicity are you? You know, that's really the question you're asking. And then I say, oh, well, 120 years ago, my Japanese ancestors came to Washington State and spread out over a couple centuries. My white ancestors came from Western Europe and Sweden. Um, so that's why I say that. Um, but to the third culture kid, the kid who was born in Wyoming and went to South Korea and then went to Africa and then went to Germany, uh, how, do they, what, how do they say where they're from? Do they say they're from Wyoming? Because they, they might not have ever been to Wyoming except when they were one, year, one years old. Maybe they visited once or twice, but they certainly didn't feel like Wyoming was home. And they kind of feel like, well, my formative years were in Africa. But do I say I'm from Africa because I'm a white kid from Wyoming? Do I say, you know, when people ask me, where are you from? You say like, well, I'm from Africa, even though I don't have an accent because I learned my English American accent from my parents. Do I say I'm from Africa? And so people have a really hard time answering this question. Was it where they were born? Is it where their citizenship is? Is it where they grew up? Is it you know, what they consider to be their culture, quote unquote? Um, is it where they live currently, maybe? Uh, is it where they feel like they most belong? These are very different you know, sorts of questions. Like for me, where do I feel like I belong? Well, I feel like I belong in Seattle. If you said where I was from, I would say Sammamish. Do I feel like I belong in Sammamish? Not really. I've lived in Seattle now for 32 years as an adult, and I definitely don't feel like I exactly fit in in my hometown, but I definitely feel like I belong there. Anyway, so imagine growing up all over the place in various different cultures. It'd be hard to answer. Uh, another commonality is that third culture kids, adult third culture kids, often feel like they consider several places, quote unquote, home. Also, when they hear about other third culture kids, they suddenly feel heard and understood. So some of you listening right now, it, let's say you've never heard about third culture kid culture, and you are a third culture kid. And as I'm talking, you're thinking, oh, my God, that's me. And a lot of third, third culture kids, because of the nature of them being scattered all over the world, sometimes they don't really have an opportunity to meet other people like them and feel like someone understands them. And so when they hear about other third culture kids on YouTube or something or they run into one or they listen to this podcast, suddenly they're just like, oh, my God, that's me. I totally now understand. And when they meet other third culture kids, regardless of the background, oftentimes they feel like they finally fit in. It's similar to me that when I go to Hawaii, it's the only place in the world that I feel culturally culturally like I fit in because – of all the Hapa people, and Hapa referring usually to being part East Asian. So if I am in Hawaii or I'm just at an event and I just run into other Hapa people, even if they're half Vietnamese and half black American, I still feel like I understand them better than I understand a full Vietnamese person, a full white person, or a full black American person. There's something about being half East Asian and anything else that just feels like 
I get them and they get me in a lot of ways. And so when I go to Hawaii, it is just filled with half or part East Asian people. And I look like them. I talk like them. I eat like them. My, my values are similar to them. Uh, not always, of course, but it, it just feels better to me. And similar to that are third culture kids when they so so in Hawaii, uh, there are many half uh, there are many people with my exact combination where you have uh, a combination of Western European immigrants to the United States and and Japanese. There's a there's a fair amount of that, but there's also all other kinds of combinations: Portuguese, Filipino. Chinese, Korean, uh, Native Hawaiian, you, you just, you know, Samoan, you'll just have all these different combinations. And yet, I feel connected to them, even though we are a very different culture. Uh, newsflash, Japan and China are very different cultures, if you didn't know that. <laughs> so people don't know that in America. Some people think it's all the same. Especially as you get further away, Philip, you know, Philip, the Philippines, Indonesia, Guam, you know, these are like very, very different cultures from each other. And so for me to feel kinship with these people doesn't make a lot of sense other than the fact that we're all hapas. And similar to uh, third culture kids, when they meet each other, even though they might have vastly different backgrounds specifically, somehow they feel like they understand each other because the overarching experience of being a third culture kid or being a HAPA person is enough of a, of a distinct culture that uh, you feel definitely like you fit in with these other people. Um, similar to regardless of your background, if – you have chronic pain, for example, and you meet someone else who has chronic pain, regardless of their background, you'll feel a kinship with them or migraines or you had a miscarriage or something. They're, these are things where uh, depending on if it's, a, if it's an identity issue, then anyway, point is, is that um, there are some other commonalities to look to that people will point to. I'll get to the research in a second, but this is just self-report from people. They, they'll talk about essentially how they believe that nothing lasts forever. You'll hear this from a lot, lot of third, third culture kids. Obviously, it makes sense, right? Because they learn that nothing does la last forever. Their home, their friends, their school, nothing lasts forever. And they will often feel rootless, meaning that they don't have roots, they have relationships that always change due to moving around. They have many close relationships spread out all, all over the world. Third culture kids are used to saying goodbye to people a lot. Uh, that, and they will report not having much control over their childhood. Like for me, having been born and raised in the Seattle area, I've almost never had to say goodbye to anybody. I'm still friends with people on a regular basis seeing them, people that I went to preschool with. And I've, and I've been friends with them ever since we were two years old, and it never changed, you know. And so people that I have to say goodbye to are only people who move away from Seattle, right? And although that happens for sure, it's not as frequent as people that stick around. Anyway, at least in my personal life. And so, so for third culture kids – 
saying goodbye is a very common experience. Third culture kids will often report being attracted to traveling. They're, they're so in love with traveling that while they're on a trip, they're planning their next trip. And by the way, I've had clients like this before, and all these things are actually true to them as well, that they have extreme wanderlust and are always thinking about traveling and always reading a Lonely Planet book and always thinking about the next epic trip they're going to go on. And when they go on a trip, they don't like to go to the typical tourist destinations. They want to go to the authentic or most extreme version of that area, that kind of thing. Um, uh, people, third culture kids are often really good planners uh, of vacations, of trips. They often are very good packers too, meaning that they pack very efficiently because they're very used to packing up all their, all their, you know, all their things. <laughs> um, Third culture kids often report that they don't understand people who stay in one place like me. They don't understand me. They'll look at me and they'll say, I don't understand why you've never wanted to move away from Seattle. You're just fine living in Seattle. Like it doesn't, it doesn't plague you at night that you're just stuck in Seattle. <laughs> and I'll say, ah, oh, that's not really how I see it. Uh, I, all my people and all my culture and all my things and all my history all my roots, all my culture and and feeling of safety is here. And I like traveling for sure, but you know, home base is definitely a, a thing I like to have. My parents still live in the house that I grew up in uh, when I was two years old. <laughs> so it kind of runs in my family as well. Uh, although I will say that my parents moved from Spokane, Washington to Seattle when they were very young which is a pretty big difference from any. Anyway, so third culture kids will often report like, I don't understand people that are just content living in the same town because I'm in a constant state of uh, looking forward. As soon as I move somewhere, you know, finally, okay, I'm going to move to, I'm going to move to Brooklyn. And I, you know, you get there and then a couple of months in, it's like, okay, where am I going to move next? And that's just a, a very common thing. Uh, there's pros and cons to that, of course. Uh, pro being that you're a very you're very adventurous and you expose yourself to a lot of different things. The con is that you're never you're never happy where you're at, and I, I've seen that with a lot of th third culture kids is that they're frequently chronically dissatisfied with everything. Uh, none of their goals, even when they reach them, seem to really matter to them. Now, that's not all third culture kids, but I've seen that sometimes. Uh, third culture kids also often have this feeling of keeping moving forward. You know, just keep moving forward. Keep never stick around. Don't get stagnant. They will sometimes uh, report that they're always asked, what's their favorite country? People will, in the same way that people look at my Asian part face and they'll say like, what are you? <laughs> you know, people don't do that so much anymore, especially in Seattle. But, but, uh, so HAPA people will often get that question. What are you? You know, uh, and for third culture kids, they'll often be asked this question. What's your favorite country? And there can be annoyances with being asked that a, a million times. Also, they often love different cultures and different languages and they embrace change. 
So they might study languages their entire life. It's just really fascinating to them. They might be less patriotic, which makes sense. If they were you know, born and raised in all these different countries, they might realize, huh, patriotism is kind of arbitrary. It's kind of weird, you know? Whereas if you were grow if you grew up in one country, then you're gonna feel much more like you have your roots in that country and much more defensive of that country. But also you're gonna be indoctrinated into whatever patriotism is of that region. Uh, third culture kids often report that they're social chameleons that were – because they grew up moving – you know, imagine you move to South Korea and you have to fit in with this whole new group of people. And then you move to Africa and you got to fit in with all these people there. You learn how to fit in. You learn how to be a chameleon. You learn how to not uh, stick out too much or maybe the way you deal with it is to stick out. But that's usually a part of the equation. Some sort of compensation has to be made, either becoming invisible so you can stay out of trouble or learning how to stick out in a way that gets control over your social situation. And that's similar to uh, – some of you might be listening thinking, you know, I didn't move different cultures, but I did move around a lot as a kid. I moved around I, – I grew up in Canada and I, I moved to a lot of different Canadian cities and towns even within the same region. So the culture was the same, but I have a lot of these kinds of feelings as third culture kids because I was a social comedian or social chameleon because I had to fit in in new schools. So according to researchers, the poster child of the third culture kid is Barack Obama. He had a white American mother from Kansas. He had a African father from Kenya. He was born and raised in Hawaii until he was six. He moved to Indonesia until he was 10. He moved back to Hawaii. And he talks about in his memoir how he used drugs as a teen to push questions of who he was out of his mind. So he was really struggling with who he was and his identity because he, again, white American mom from Kansas, and that's a particular culture from Kansas, African father from Kenya, that's a particular culture, born and raised in Hawaii, which is very different from Kansas, uh, then from 6 to 10, moves to Indonesia, then back to Hawaii, then to various different American cities. And according to uh, an article in the Journal of Cross-Culture Psychology written by Abe 2018, quote, on one hand, he, Barack Obama, he has been praised for his remarkable ability to relate to people of diverse backgrounds and to consider issues from multiple perspectives. Yet, on the other hand, he has also been criticized for his aloofness and emotional detachment. Interestingly, these paradoxical sets of characteristics have long been considered to be quintessential traits of adult children, adult third culture children. End of quote. So it's interesting that this article is pointing out how Barack Obama, according to people around him, would say that he is able to see things from multiple perspectives. I would agree with that. And I would like to think that I'm that way too, based on my HAPA background. And yet on the other hand, he has been criticized for his aloofness and, emo and emotional detachment, maybe because as he grew up and moved around a lot, he couldn't really attach to people because 
soon he would have to break those attachments. Imagine you're a 10-year-old kid and you finally found your friends or your teachers or your community and then boom, you're back in Hawaii. Well, at, at age 11, you're thinking, why would I attach to people around me in Hawaii if I'm just going to have to say goodbye? As for me, as someone who was born and raised in one area, I never had to make that dis- decision. In fact, it shows in my, uh, in my career, uh, just as one example, there's, there's many examples of my career working out this way, but one example is that uh, after graduating with my master's 23, four years ago, I started working at an, the agency that I interned at. And so I didn't have to say goodbye to any – so I'm, I'm an intern and I have a bunch of clients and then I'm offered a job and I take it uh, because I need a job. And two, I didn't want to say goodbye to any of my clients. And so I didn't have to terminate with any of my clients. And so I kept all my internship clients. I got more clients. And then I worked – full-time at the agency for a couple years. And then I was able, because my private practice was doing well after a couple years, I was able to uh, not work at the agency anymore. But because I couldn't say goodbye to any of these people, I decided to scale back to part-time. And then over time, I said, well, I'm not going to take any new clients. And so what I'm going to do is as clients terminate, then my caseload will just shrink. Well, fast forward a year or so later, maybe longer, and I have three clients. So I'm an employee of an agency in which I have just three clients, <laughs> which is not, not a sort of viable employment to, uh, to, to justify, right? And so my supervisor at the time, he just is like, look, we're just going to have to fire you because we can't have an, a part-time employee that's only here three hours a week. It doesn't make any sense. And so – what I did with those clients, though, is I transitioned them to my private practice. <laughs> so I've never had to say goodbye, and I don't do well with it, actually. Uh, it's, it's, it's been easier professionally as time has gone on. But anyway, so for people that are third culture kids, such as Barack Obama, it might be easier because you get used to it and you might sacrifice closeness and attachment with your relationships because you're like, well, I'm going to have to say goodbye to them anyway. Whereas someone like me never had to say goodbye. And so it's, it's harder for me to even consider letting go of people anyway. So uh, regarding Barack Obama, before I read these articles, I often felt like Barack Obama was one of my people, even though he's not Asian, he is mixed. So there is that, but he grew up in Hawaii he ate Spam Musubi. He seemed to understand Asian culture very well. His white mom from Kansas, like my mom was born in Kansas. And he seemed to fit in in a lot of places. And that's me too. That's one of the things that I've thought about myself as a strength is that I could always fit in with people. As an example, a sort of quintessential example is when I was in high school, you know, you have all your different cliques, right? Well, I was a jock for sure because I was captain of the football team and uh, was known for playing football, playing American football, and played a lot of sports, but mainly football, and definitely fit in with the jocks and could do the locker room talk and could yell at people at halftime and get them all riled up. You know, I was a, I was a football captain. You know, it's, a, it's a role that you play. It's, it's a thing you have to do. And so... There was that, but I was definitely also 
in the theater crowd. I was in plays. I was in music. I was a I was a lead in South Pacific, the musical, um, and definitely I got a so I got a letter. You know, Letterman's jacket. People outside America listening right now I have no idea what I'm talking about. But in, in America, we have these we have letters, and so when you get a letter, you can put the letter on your Letterman's jacket. It's actually not a letter. It's a it's a it's like a badge that you put on your and a, le, a letterman's jacket <laughs> a letterman's jacket uh, yeah i don't know if kids do it today but uh, and it was sort of falling out of fashion in the 80s but i still got my letterman's jacket um but anyway i i lettered if for those who know i lettered in american football and i also lettered in theater <laughs> i was also in choir i was in jazz choir which was kind of like the elite singing choir and we toured around we went to california and stuff and won competitions and that was a big deal i was also in the nerds i I, my best friends were all nerds i was definitely in the nerd group now my group was sort of like an offshoot of the nerd class (laughs) um we were all good at school. We all played, or half of us played Dungeons and Dragons. We liked video games before it was cool. We liked Dungeons and Dragons before it was cool. And we, at dances, for example, did a lot of what we called dorking, which was just sort of making fun of things by dancing in really weird ways. So I was definitely in that group. And I always felt like I could fit in in various different places. And I think it has something to do with the fact that I grew up as a mixed child, as someone that was not of my mom's culture and was not of my dad's culture. And when I stepped out into society, I was not of that culture either because I grew up in the Seattle area, which is primarily white, particularly suburban east side, uh, at least back then. Now, ironically, there's a ton of Asians where where I grew up, it's like a third Asians and South Asians. But when I grew up, it was it was just stark, just just white as bread. And so when I walked out the door, I was definitely not of that culture. When I met up with my Japanese, my full Japanese relatives, I definitely didn't fit in with them. When I went to Japan, I definitely didn't fit in there. And so similar to Barack Obama or other third culture kids, I think I can relate. Even though I wouldn't call myself a third culture kid, I would just call myself a Hapa or a mixed mixed race child. All right. So let's go into the research. But first, let's take a break. All right. We're back from the break. If you haven't become a patron yet, do so now. Become one of us. Also, we have merch. If you don't, I don't usually talk about merch on the audio podcasts. If you, you can go to teespring.com, go to Psychology in Seattle. We have a lot of merch there now. Stacy, my wife, designs it all, and it's, it's ever-changing. So even if you went there a couple months ago, there, there might be something new on there. And I actually really like the merch. I, I'm actually <laughs> I'm wearing one of the shirts right now. I'm wearing the Total Speculation shirt, and I also have a Take Care of Yourself Because You Deserve It mug right now. I'm using that for my coffee. Uh, I, I legitimately like it. Um, if you like it, that's great. If you don't, that's also cool. <laughs> All right. So research. There's actually a lot of research on third culture kids, but a lot of them have contradictory findings, probably, again, due to the diversity within the group. But according to the research, some general findings, I've broken, I've broken up all the research that I could find 
and there's several studies into this list of pros and cons. And not everyone are going to uh, resonate with the pros and the cons, not everyone. But these are research findings regarding pros and cons of being a third culture kid. Pros are that you can sometimes have greater maturity and adjustment during adulthood. So by the way, before I go into this, third culture kid research or discourse usually is negative, meaning that they'll say, oh, if you're a third culture kid, it's, it's usually damaging in the same way that if you were abused as a child, it's generally a negative. So uh, when I point out these pros, it might be kind of surprising because it's not usually talked about. But a lot of third culture kids might be able to resonate with this. But anyway, third culture kids, according to one study, found that they were more mature and that they adjusted more easily as adults, probably because of the um, lessons they learned growing up would be my guess. They also have higher levels of multicultural engagement, meaning that they have a more diverse set of friends or more diverse set of interests in terms of culture, which makes total sense. They can be more resilient as adults, meaning that when ad, you know, adversity happens to them, they bounce back more quickly. They have been shown to have higher levels of well-being, which is interesting, probably due to learning a lot of different cultures, having a lot of friends all over the world, learn, you know, experiencing new and interesting things. So higher, higher levels of well-being. Uh, more adaptive, cognitive, and effective styles, meaning that when they're faced with difficulty, the way they think and the way they feel is more healthy. Uh, they're just adaptable in general, which makes sense because they had to be they have an ability to relate to a diverse set of people, which makes sense. They're more interested in other cultures. They scored higher on cultural empathy, which of course makes sense. And they scored higher on open-mindedness, which of course makes sense given their experience. And of course, if you grew up in one town and never moved and weren't exposed to any other cultures and you're a monoculture kid – uh, cultural empathy and open-mindedness would be less, according to research. All right. So the cons. What are the cons, what are the what are the downsides, according to research, of a third culture kid? And again, not everyone shares these. They can struggle with interpersonal awareness. So when they are as an adult and they're interacting with other people, they might not be as aware of what's happening. Maybe because of those frequent relationship losses that cause them to become more insular as children and thus not be able to figure other people out because they're not really involving themselves with other people. By the way, for people who watch my reaction videos, I think Darcy and Stacy had this upbringing where they moved around a lot. And you might be able to see some of these cons in them. Third culture kids tend to have a, an extended period of adolescence, meaning that Adolescence is typified by trying to find yourself, trying to discover what you're going to do with your career, trying to develop a deeper sense of empathy and responsibility for other people. And some third culture kids, if, uh, according to research, they have a harder time uh, graduating from adolescence into adulthood. Uh, now, by the way, the term adolescence usually refers to teenage life, right? But in, according to the research, it actually is extended maturation-wise well into one's 20s. 
So for a average person, their quote unquote adolescent phase definitely is going up until 22, 23. But for someone who as a third culture kid, it might extend until they're into their 30s. And people in their 30, early 30s, third culture kids might be able to relate very well to people in their early 20s in terms of still trying to find themselves, still trying to figure out what they're going to do with their life, still trying to figure out where they're going to live, still trying to figure out what their role is regarding their responsibility to their spouses and other kinds of people in their family. They may have difficulty developing a coherent sense of self, which of course makes sense, given that they don't even know what their culture is. They don't even know, you know who they are in terms of their society. And also they're bouncing around and maybe, you know, if the, so, well, I'll get to the conclusions later in a second, but um, let me just go through these. That they can often have a feeling of rootlessness, meaning that they don't have any roots anywhere. People with this background, third culture kids, will often have unresolved grief, meaning that throughout their life, they had a lot of losses and they have a lot of grief feelings and none of them were really resolved because it was just compounded one after the other. They can sometimes feel out of sync with their peers, particularly as children and teens, where they're just not really in sync with their peers, which can feel bad. And they can also score lower on emotional stability, meaning that on average, they might have more emotional volatility because of their lack of stability uh, growing up in life. So here's my speculation, given all the research that I read, because some, some research says, you know, being a third culture kid is wonderful. And other research says, actually, it's not so great. Well, I think that the constellation of pros and cons in an individual depends on a lot of different things. It depends on how often they moved. If they only moved twice, then that's a different life than if you moved literally every six months, right? It, it, it depends on the family cohesion and the attachment security in the family. How, how good was the family? How healthy was the family? Because if the family is fairly healthy and attachment security is pretty high in the family, then the move is going to be less of an issue than if you didn't have attachment security at home and you definitely don't have it in the world because you're moving around occasionally, that's going to have a, you know, a bigger negative toll. Also, peer relationship quality. How were you treated when you went to your new school? You moved from South Korea to Africa. How were you treated in Africa? Were people nice to you or were they not? Did, they, did you get bullied or were you accepted? So that's going to have a huge difference as well. The degree of culture shock. So if you move from, say, Canada to, I don't know, United States, then the degree shock, the culture shock, the degree of the culture shock will be fairly minimal. But if you move from South Korea to uh, Africa or United States, you're going to see a much greater cultural difference and thus more cultural shock and you know, language differences and all this kind of thing. And so it's, it's going to be harder. Also, the last thing it depends on, according to my speculation, is disposition. Some kids are just more anxious than others, and so the more anxiety you're going to have, the harder it's going to be. So that's what I think it comes down to is case-by-case uh, you know, -case basis. But there are, again, some commonalities that can really 
uh, be themes in third third culture kid life that I pointed out. The feeling of wanderlust. You just always want to be moving. You want to travel. Life is too short. There's not enough time to go to all the places you want to go to. That you're never really quite happy or satisfied with where you're living. That you live a life based on the next place you're going to be. That you don't understand people who stay in one place and might not be even compatible with those people. That when you're on a vacation, you're thinking about the next vacation. That you might often feel like an outsider, like you don't ever really fit in with anybody. That you like traveling and you're very good at it, but when you go home, it doesn't really feel like home ever no matter where you live, even if you've lived there for five years, you don't, you don't really feel like it's home. You might not feel like you've uh, – you might not feel like it's easy to connect with other people or you might hold back for fear that, of course, the relationship is going to end because they always end. You might – and this is a little less frequent. I would see this in clients – you might have difficulty understanding that you're responsible for other people's feelings because the nature in which you were moved around a lot, you never had enough time to really establish deep long-term relationships with people such that you internalize this notion of, oh, I am responsible for other people's feelings. That is, uh, I can hurt other people. It's my moral responsibility to pay attention to how other people feel when I behave around them. And that can be sometimes very difficult, and that can be part of that extended adolescence piece of when you're 15, you don't have the empathy typically that you have when you're 35 or 55. And for third culture kids, for some of them, not all of them for sure, it's harder for them to uh, develop that at, at the normal pace. They'll eventually get there, but it will always be a little off because, again, they were never really connected to people or they had a limited level of connection to other people. That, that's another quality that I would see in clients, which is that they that the sort of top end of their connection with other people is a little lower than what other people might think of, meaning that they don't even have it in their mind as a possibility to be super close to somebody. Um, on the other hand, I've seen third culture kids, again, case by case basis, who become extremely clingy when they finally meet someone who is, uh, you know, a, a secure attachment, and they totally want to en- want to enmesh with that person because, again, throughout their life, they've never really had that, or they learned. I'm only going to live here for two years, so I better I better accelerate my attachment to my friends because if I do the normal pace, by the time I get kind of close to them, I will have already moved, that sort of thing. So those are the things that I've seen, and that's the research. So the whole reason why I brought this up and did this episode is because Allie, who is a listener to the podcast, she won a uh, contest – that Colin put on uh, back in December uh, on Discord. And 
because of that, she was able to pick a topic. And so she won, she picked this topic for me to talk about. And she has an email here, and I, I sort of am summarizing her email. Uh, I'm just going to read it because I think it really encapsulates the third, the third culture kid phenomenon. She says, I was born in Kiev, Ukraine in 1993. Even though Ukraine was independent, I was issued a Soviet birth control birth. <laughs> I was isu- I was issued a Soviet birth certificate, even though I was Ukrainian. My mother is Jewish. My father was not Jewish. As a kid, I struggled to bridge the differences between all my identities, part Ukrainian, part Jewish. While sometimes, uh, while while I sometimes meet other Jewish people whose mannerisms, behaviors, and sense of humor feel like what I could consider very familiar, I also meet Jewish people who are only similar on paper. So Ali is saying, growing up in Ukraine, but even though Ukraine was independent, I was still issued a Soviet birth certificate. So was I Soviet? Was I Ukrainian? My mother's Jewish. My father was not. Am I Jewish? Is that my home? And so that kind of begins that third culture kid experience. When I was six years old, my family immigrated to Germany and lived in a small town. Uh, so again, moving from a big city like Kiev to a small town in Germany, I felt completely lost, anxious, and confused. I didn't speak the language and had no idea how to interact with people there. It was hard to comprehend the general meaning, the general meanness and racism I was experiencing from those scary people in Germany. When I went back to Ukraine as a teenager, it was a bittersweet experience. So many things felt familiar in Ukraine. The people felt like home, and I felt more free and confident. I didn't have to worry about speaking Russian outside or who might hear it. I blended with the crowd. However, Ukrainian culture no longer felt normal to me, and this surprised me. So just chiming in here, I'm guessing that for Ali, she is you know, 12 years old, and she's you know, accustomed, acclimated a little bit to German culture. But I'm guessing there was a part of her that was always like, oh, but, you know, if only I could get back to Ukraine where all my people are. And then as a teenager, she goes back there and lives there. And although there were some benefits, she could speak the language and things felt familiar, the Ukrainian culture no longer felt normal to her. uh, And this surprised her. I was surprised by how much my former hometown had changed. I felt grief over the loss of the life I didn't end up living if I had stayed there. I felt the pain of being uprooted. I began to feel like I belonged in multiple places and nowhere all at the same time. As an adult looking back, I think that my experience has made me more open-minded, humanistic, and compassionate. I enjoy learning about other cultures. I have an easy time picking up cultural similarities and differences. Uh, so just chiming in here. So Ali is you know, uh, reflecting a lot of the research and other uh, qualitative and quantitative. When people ask me where I'm from, I struggle to answer. Do they want me to say where I live, where I lived before, where I lived the longest, where I was born? It's a complicated concept regarding what home is. I don't see myself as Jewish, as just Jewish. I don't see myself as just Ukrainian. I I don't see myself as just German. Every time I try to identify with one culture only, it either feels like a glove that doesn't quite fit or like I'm an imposter. There's always a missing piece. When people try to assign me an exclusive cultural identity or tell me they don't think I am part of theirs to any degree, it feels upsetting. 
I feel restless frequently. Staying in a place for a long time makes me uncomfortable. I have no fears about moving somewhere different. In fact, on the contrary, it has an appeal to move somewhere. If I am going to be rootless, uh, if I'm going to be rootless and always feel a bit out of place, why get tied down somewhere? The world is big. Home doesn't have to be a place I feel tied to. There is comfort in finding someone you don't have to explain your cultural aspects to. This comfort is actually, this, this comfort in itself actually feels very much like home. So just chiming in here, Ali is saying that although no place feels like home, when I, f- when I find other third culture kids, they feel like home to me. Uh, uh, continuing here, it feels like humming a song and knowing with certainty that the other person will, without hesitation, start singing the lyrics. I learned that this feeling is not just limited to people who share my precise cultural background. End of, e- end of email. Right. So I think that it's clear when you hear her describe her experience that Ali definitely is reflecting not only the qualitative research, but also the quantitative research. There's, there's pros and cons. There's good things and there's bad things, but there's a lot of commonalities. Even when Ali meets someone who wasn't from Ukraine and moved to Germany, but might have been from Korea and moved to Africa, or might have been from Wyoming and moved to Brazil, and then over to China or something. And for Ali, when she meets these other people, she feels like she can hum a tune, and the other person is going to instantly sing the lyrics. All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thank you, Allie, for winning the contest and suggesting this topic. It gave me an opportunity to do a deep dive on it. And everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it. You really, really do.